Hey everybody, today's episode of Shoppernomics is brought to you by Decision Breakers, experts in behavior-based shopper strategy, insights, and activation. Visit www.decisionbreakers.com to learn more and see how they can help you win the war in store. Welcome to Shoppernomics, the podcast for marketing and insight professionals who want to stay current on the latest understanding of consumer behavior and decision-making. My name is Phil McGee, and today I'm speaking with Lynn Falk, consumer behavior specialist, registered interior designer, author, speaker, and president of RetailWorks, a branding, design, and consulting firm specializing in retail, corporate, and hospitality spaces. I met with Lynn last month when hosting the Shopper Brain Conference in New York City. By the way, if you missed that conference, I'll also be hosting Shopper Brain Amsterdam this November, so if you want to hear great speakers and can get your company to sponsor an overseas trip, I highly recommend it. Anyway, Lynn gave a terrific presentation titled, Turning the Shopping Experience on Its Head, where she talked about design science, why it's important, how to think about it, and how to apply it. We're going to get into all of these things in a moment, but for now, Lynn, welcome to Shoppernomics. Thank you, Phil. Happy to be here today. And happy to have you. So, Lynn, I gave a quick summary of your credentials up front, but maybe you can build upon my introduction and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, you did a nice, concise uh, version of it, and I would just basically add that I have 30 years of experience in the retail design environmental psychology industry. So I've been working with retailers all across the country to really help them better define their brand and their space and the 3D experience um, that their customers have when they walk through that front door all the way through to when they exit the door. And we've also worked with manufacturers who have had the need to um, put together specific merchandising techniques and displays to really attract attention for their particular product lines within a retail environment. Yeah, and that experience was, you know, came through loud and clear when you went through your presentation and, and certainly we'll do again today as, as we talk about your presentation. Um, but, but, you know, incredibly impressive and, uh, and, and you're lucky to have that type of experience. Uh, it's pretty rare to find um, and, and you really have it all kind of under one roof. Um, and, and then as a side note, you know, one of the things that, that you and I have in common is we both uh, aspire to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, I'm, I'm curious, have you decided when you'll be ready to tackle those 2,200 miles? <laughs> well, I tend to be a workaholic, so I'm not sure when I'm going to retire because I always say to everyone, I have all these, this bucket list of all these things I'm going to do when I retire, but then everyone laughs and says, well, you're never retiring. So at <laughs> some point... In the next 10 years, I have to start squeezing these things in. So let me, you should hold me to it, let's say in five years, I'll try and get that done. All right, I'm going to mark my calendar on, and, uh, and come back and, and begin nudging at that point. All right, okay. but, so for now then, let's, let's, let's focus on your presentation. Um, as I mentioned, it, your presentation was titled, Turning the Shopping Experience on Its Head, which of course is a play on words. And, and the focus was on design science. Um, can we begin by defining design science and, and what it entails? Well, you know, I say that everything, is, and we all, from a science standpoint, we're all made of energy. So we're energetic forms. And I tend to always go back to the immutable laws of nature on how we exist in environments. and. So for me, when I look at a, a human being and the physiology and the psychology of, a, of a, this human form walking into a space and then 
all of these variables that hit us as human beings. So lighting levels, the proportion of the space, textures, sounds, aromas, um, all of these things basically affect our bodies and then we react in some way. So we're constantly interpreting the information around us on subconscious and conscious levels. And, and what fascinates me is how we can manipulate those variables around us and then you can see how behaviors change. So for me, it's the science of really human behavior that's interacting with, its envi with our environment. Okay, terrific. And, and obviously a lot of this is ground in, in science, um, environmental psychology, uh, biomimicry, I think is what you called it. it uh, and biophilic um, design. So biophilia is really hmm. taking the kind of the elements of nature, the geometric forms and patterns found in nature, and how we have responded to those over tens of thousands of years um, until now we're in built environments, and yet we still resort back to reacting to a lot of these geometric forms and patterns in a built environment. Yeah, okay. So, um, right, so, so obviously a lot of these things come from nature and interact with, with an evolved brain that, that evolved in that nature. Um, and, and, and you mentioned in your presentation that the brain only works when it's stimulated. Um, so uh, can you talk about the types of stimulation that make the brains work and in what ways? Yes. So I always say our, our brain is basically a black box and it, it ignites when it is exposed to stimuli. So again, when we walk and we're stepping on something or, or whether you're on carpet or hard flooring, I mean, even that right there, we slow down when we're on a fiber floor, we walk faster on a hard surface. Mm. But even when, when light hits our eyes, when color hits, when we view something, the vibration of a color, that energetic vibration, the color hits our pupil, and then our pupil will basically re send a signal to our brain to react. And so what I say, this, this first form of um, when you walk in and, and you're in an, in an built environment, we have an in instinctual response. It's this primitive biological reaction mm -hmm. that occurs without any thought. So it's the reptilian brain that is immediately responding to our built environment. So if, if the music is too loud, if the, the lights are too bright, if we feel like we're in too tight of a space, um, there are all these things that are going to tell us we either have to, we want to stay or we want to run. Mm. Um, it's that fight or flight response. And then after that, we'll have an emotional response. So there might be something that we smell or we hear that triggers some sort of an emotional reaction that because we were exposed to it in the past and we relate it to an experience that may be good or bad. So there's going to be an emotional trigger. And then our intellectual brain finally kicks in. And that is what then starts to make us say, okay, what do I want to do? Do and am I going, if I'm going to stay, where am I going to go in this space? Do you know what is going to lead me from point A to point B? Am I looking at a sign that's going to prime me to do something. Am I seeing something in the distance that is contrasting with the surroundings that's piqued my curiosity? So my intellectual brain now starts making decisions. And then finally, the mechanical part of our body kicks in and we start walking and moving and picking things up and interacting with the product. It sounds like the instinctual, so I want to think about it this in, in Kahneman terms, 
instinctual, emotional, and maybe, you know, some degree of mechanical are all maybe system one and the intellectual would be kind of system two thought processes. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, as a marketer, um, I, I, I want to try to, um, design to appeal to all of these reactions. Is, is, is that right? Or at least be aware that those reactions are going to happen, you know, in, in any design. Correct. And, you know, there's sort of, I'm talking that big picture walking into a three-dimensional environment. When yeah. you start narrowing it down and you get someone into a specific department looking at products on shelves or at a specific display, mm -hmm. then we get into composition of elements and principles of design. And that's where, you know, you want to look at the shape of a project product. Um, you know, of course, the, the size of the label, how the label is in proportion with the product overall, how many repetitions can someone see? And of course, that's the shelf space, and that's mm -hmm. very valuable. And, you know, how high is it off the floor? Of course, eye level. Is it illuminated? Um, and of course, we've now been in environments where sometimes you walk by something and it triggers some sort of person talking or some music. Um, you know, they have, they're doing studies now that say, you know, if you illuminate and you add some sort of sound, of course, that's going to be a little more attention getting than things around it. Right. But the elements and principles of design and composition and uh, that that occurs at a little more of a detailed level. Now, and and I imagine these things happen um, uh, um, in, in different, um, you know, kind of depending where people are in their interaction with the store. Um, they, they play over and over again. And what I mean is at, when I walk into the store, I have the instinctual, emotional, intellectual, mechanical reactions. Um, but then when I walk up to a category of interest, I, I, it kind of starts all over again, but at the category level, right? I'll have these four reactions uh, within the scope of a given category. Yes, and, and you could, yes, say that. So if someone is looking at a, a row of products and it's got the color red and it's contrasting with blues or yellows around it, mm -hmm. um, you know, what is then that instinctual response to that color red? Yeah. Um, and, then, and, and then, you know, emotional may not be as, as important at that point, but then certainly the intellectual. And I, I think perhaps, and you've also talked with other, when you've interviewed other researchers and academics, that you know they're saying over 80% of our, our decisions are made with our right brain, right. Um, which is that intuitive, instinctual brain. Yes. So it's not, you know, you might gather all your information with your left brain. So, you know, you might have gone online to look at different product features and benefits and prices and this and that. When it comes right down to going into the store and picking up that and actually making that purchase and saying, yes, this is the one I want, that would be your, you know, that more of that instinctual brain. Yes. Intuitive brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, even that um, the intellectual brain is, uh, brain is being fed by, um, you know, the, the subconscious, which, which carries the memories, which, you know, you don't control what you remember. Your, your, your brain decides what, what is worth remembering. Um, as well as associations and, um, you know, which may or may not be emotional and whatnot. So we, we as shoppers may think that we're kind of in control of our thinking as we go through this process, but, um, but it's being fed by a subconscious that we, we don't know is feeding or what it's feeding. So, Correct. yeah, it's, it's interesting, um, but complicated stuff. Um, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about memory because you said, um, 
in your presentation to create an effective shopping experience. And I've got effective in air quotes here. Um, you, you argue it must be memorable because if memorable, you say it will increase return visits. So I've got, I've got two questions for you on that. Um, first, is that based on your experience as a, as a designer that if memorable, you get return visits or is there literature to support that relationship? Well, that's a good question. I guess it's probably from 30 years and a combination of reading some reports. I, sometimes I have to deduce things from um, studies that have been done perhaps in the advertising industry and then have to somehow figure out how is that even effective in a three-dimensional environment. Um, and, and I have found that when we do store designs and store layouts and displays, the more times we can repeat something, a brand, a message, a color, um, whatever it is we're trying to get across to someone, the more likely they are going to remember it. Well, if someone can recall it in conversation in the future, they're going to talk to other people about it. About it. And then when they have to think about shopping for that particular product type again, mm -hmm. they, will, they will remember that experience. The other thing is if you can create a positive experience, yeah. of course, people are attracted to a positive experience. So they're going to also want that helps aid the memory. So if you come out and you go, wow, that was such great customer service, or wow, did I love how XYZ was in that store, um, you're just going to want to think about that in the future when the time comes to go buy that particular product again. I, I, I love the term you just used, aid the memory. Um, there's a, a book I'm reading. I actually got it at the Shopper Brain Conference. It's called, I think it's called Neuroscience for Marketers. Um, and it, it does a really short, concise, and, and easy to read um, you know, summary of really what marketers need to know about how the brain works. And it talks about... Um, you know, memory and how, uh, again, we don't control what we remember. Uh, the brain decides for us what it's going to remember. Um, yeah, I mean, we can, we can intentionally study, and of course, that's going to aid memory, as you put it. Um, but, you know, the brain does its own kind of selecting and deselecting of, of what it will remember. And so, you know, to that point, how, how do we, and this is my second question, how do we design to create memorable shopping experiences? Because, you know, to, again, to your term, right. aid the memory, it sounds like it's within our control what we, what we get people to remember. Well, and yes, uh, another great question. You have to engage people so that they are part of the experience. So we want to touch all of the senses. Because if you think about it, we can go into a fairly generic shopping environment and forget about it fairly easily. But if we go into an environment that has touched all of our senses, so all of a sudden we've got there's some slight aroma that's just pleasant, just kind of elevates our mood. And again, we may or may not be sure that that was the exact thing that elevated our mood, but it did. And, mm -hmm. and that could be because it affected alpha waves that, you know, so you know, when you, there's a whole conversation just about aromas and how it affects behavior. Mm. But there could have been some good music going on. There could have been great interactive displays. There could have been someone that was doing tattoos in, a, in, the, midst, in the middle of an apparel store <laughs> so that people go, wow, that's wow. unusual. You know, it's, it's that experience that's out of the box and not what you expect. It, and it, whether it is stimulating the senses or just giving you a little of that wow or that, oh, that's unusual or that's clever or that's curious. Mm. It makes people remember. And that's what retail has to be these days. You have to have the unique, interactive, engaging experience. Otherwise, it's generic. It's benign. And it's forgetful. Right, right. 
Uh, yes, and, and you know, certainly breaking through the clutter just gets harder and harder and harder because there's, there's, there's a lot of things that are you know, pushing the envelope to get you to remember them. Um, Correct. So, yeah. So the kind of the, the baseline is just getting higher and higher and higher. We have to get more and more extreme to, to do what you just said. Um, mm-hmm. are, terrific. So um, I, I want to now talk about the three tenets or criteria um, that you describe as, as what the brain uses to make decisions when in the act of shopping. And I'm going to try to recap them. I'll, I'll put them in my words and then you can maybe, you know, correct me if I didn't quite get it right. But, but I'd like you to maybe explain explain them and why they're so important. Um, one was um, you have to satisfy the primitive desire to be safe, healthy, and strong. Um, a second tenet was, um, you know, be sure to help shoppers sense pleasure and, and while at the same time avoid pain. And then lastly, make environments simple and predictable. Uh, first, did I, did I get those mostly right? Yes. Um, and that, those are like very basic. So yeah. if, if you're doing those, that's great. But that, now we sort of have to add that what we were just talking about, that, that extra level of um, engagement, stimuli, emotional connection, um, something that's, that's because it can be, there's that fine line of becoming too, again, benign with some of those basics. That's what we originally needed just to feel like you're in a good place, a safe place. Now, so we want to add a little bit of stimuli, a little bit of that emotional connection, and you want to get people interactive. You want them picking things up, trying things on. But then there's this next level where it can become overstimulation, mm-hmm. and then the brain shuts down. Mm. So now it's too many choices. The music's too loud. The, the, you know, the light might be too bright or it's too dim or someone was trying to make too big of an effect on it and it actually reversed on itself and now it's a negative feature. So sometimes people start throwing in too much color, too much contrast, too much movement. Um, and then, like I said, the decision, the, the decision, I call it decision paralysis because the brain just shuts down. So yeah. we then need to come back in and say there need to be some negative spaces for the brain to rest. We don't need a thousand choices. You mm. know, there have been experiments showing that if you have 16 of something um, and you narrow it down to six choices, you know, you'll sell more. Um, it's just people don't want to spend, and that's where the brain is lazy kind of thing. The brain doesn't want to have to overwork. If it's already trying to figure out the environment and now it has to try and figure out how to decide on 16 choices of something, we don't have time. We don't want that. The brain wants the easiest way yes. out. Yeah. So there's sort of these layers that you have to be thinking about when you're when you're designing a store or laying out um, some shelving of fixture or product line. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, I did some work recently in convenience stores, and there was one chain in particular that had in the candy aisle um, a, a lighted fixture, so that you know it was like fluorescent lights, kind of beaming and reflecting off of the candy wrappers. And, and, you know, the, the candy wrappers are so filled with color and, and each variety of candy is, you know, screaming for attention that especially when you put the fluorescent lights on it, it is just complete <laughs> sensory overload. Um, and, and it sounds like what you're saying is you got to have, you, you got to give shoppers kind of a, a, a kind of a starting point. Um, and that starting point is, you know, Hey, this is a safe place. Um, and, and, and there's pleasure here, not pain, and it's simple and predictable. And then, you know, once you've kind of, you know, in a nanosecond established that, 
then you can start calling attention to certain you know things that you want to call attention to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about senses because you did a great job talking about um, how to align design with our five senses. Um, you even um, you even introduced a sixth sense, um, which uh, which I'll ask you to talk about. But um, you know how do we how do we design for the six senses? I understand that is like it, that's five days to answer a question as general as that. But um, you know it's at a at a kind of a high level. How, how do you think about that? You know you've got these six senses, and by the way, you could tell us what the sixth one is. Um, and then you know what are some principles of of, of designing for them? Well, the the first sense that uh, brings in the most of our information, you know, the, our visual vision, the visual, the sense of sight. You know, we get eighty percent of all of our information through our eyes, and that's where I was talking about the elements and principles of design and color. Just you know, that's a whole other conversation on the, how whether it's red or blue or green or yellow, how that energy affects us. Um, and how we react to them. And of course, it's also culturally too. So, you know, if you're in America, one color might be completely, be completely differently interpreted um, from if you're in the East, uh, in China or Asia or in India. So I think about that. And then line, form, shape, um, those are again, a lot of those are visual, but let's then move to the sense of um, hearing. So 90% of people, who are shoppers actually react positively to some sort of music. So that's a huge statistic right there. And people tend to want to have, they don't want environments that are too quiet when they're shopping. It's almost uncomfortable. And it will, different types of genre of music and the tempo of music will affect human behavior. So it's really key to brand your music um, according to your target market's desires and also how it is compatible with your product line and the whole feel and decor of the space. So music is really important. Then of course we have the olfactory sense, which um, is your sense of smell. And that was our first sense to develop um, before any of our other senses. And that is where as soon as we do smell something, it does go right to the limbic portion of our brain, which is our emotional center of our brain. So it bypasses intellect <laughs> immediately. And it can either be a huge turnoff or it can be obviously a very pleasurable experience, but it's, it's really, have to be, you have to be very careful. And I always say, do not use synthetic aromas. Um, try to use natural oils um, and do them in simple ways or, or hire someone like Dr. Alan Hirsch, who will actually develop a signature olfactory brand for a particular environment and then he can put that into the HVAC system in a space. So there are signature olfactory brands for casinos and hotels and major department stores. Wow. But for the, even the smaller retailers, there are ways to get that natural scent into the environment. And again, behavior is affected by many different types of, of scents out there. And then you have the sense of touch so that's tactile, and I always say the first time someone really comes in contact with an environment is often the door handle. So what is that door handle even like? Mm. And then what are the upholstery and fabrics like? What is the countertop like? Um, and anytime, again, we can get people, customers engaged with a product, um, so it's more likely they pick it up and they touch it and they can hold it and feel it. Uh, and then our 
sense of taste, of course, I would call it a breaking bread with your customers. So anytime you can offer some water, coffee, tea, even wrapped mints at the counter, it's a nice gesture. Um, and people feel it's almost like they start opening up a little bit more and mm -hmm. the trust goes up when you start offering them something to eat or drink. And then finally, the sixth sense is that sense of intuition. We've all put a kind of one foot into an environment and you go, mm, no, I'm not going to stay here. I don't like it. It doesn't feel right. I, I've got to go. Um, or, oh my gosh, I love this place. It just feels so good. So we all have our favorite restaurant or our favorite nightclub or our favorite retail store or grocery store. Oftentimes, they don't, people don't, they don't even know why they like it. They just know it feels right. So from a design, store designer standpoint and or the owner of that business, we all need to know what, what made it good. Mm. What made it feel intuitively good? And then we go through all those variables, it, you know, and it's everything. It's the ceiling height, the proportion of the space, the lighting levels, the sound, the acoustics, you know, the aromas or odors. If you have to get rid of odors first before you can interject an aroma. But that's where, again, that intuition is really if you hit, it, hit the nail on the head. And I always say my successful environments are the ones that people really do kind of want to hang out in because they feel good. Yeah. Um Let's see. Did you, I'm sorry. Did you talk about knowing? Well, no, thank you. Knowing that, that is, um, I always say that intuition and sort of wisdom and knowing are all interconnected. And that's your There's, sixth sense. Yeah. This yeah. is this, you know, sort of intuitively it's that gut feel and you just know it. It's a, it's an internal wisdom that does not come from your head. It's so it's you walk in and it just feels right. It's a feeling, mm. it's a knowing. So, and we've all had it. And, oh, and they always say you know, sure. you're supposed to go with your gut, your gut feeling <laughs> right away. Right. <laughs> and sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong, but it's probably 51% right. So that's why it's served, uh, served its purpose from an evolutionary standpoint. Um, you know, it's, you're talking about taste before and giving samples away and how that, um, you know, gets people to open up and, um, you know, there's all kinds of cultural associations with, with food and, and whatnot, which of course, you know, can be leveraged to that. But, um, did you ever find yourself in a situation, um, where you weren't hungry, but it was, you know, time to eat and, and you took a bite of the meal and all of a sudden you became hungry. Has, has that ever happened to you? Yes. I would say it's more if I smell it first. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Know? And I'm sort of distracted doing my work or whatever. And then all of a sudden someone brings someone past my, something past my desk or put something in the microwave. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that smells really good. Well, like now I'm, it's triggered <laughs> my appetite. Yes, so exactly. I had that happen more. Yeah. Cause you know, there is, I, I was just reading a paper on this the other day. There is science behind, you know, how, how all of that works. And, and it's very appropriate that we call that kind of first course an appetizer because it, it does exactly that. Um, but, and then of course they say, don't shop when you're hungry. Um, and so as a marketer, well, you know, if you want to make sure that people are hungry, you know, that's within your control. Uh, just give, give them something yeah. to nibble and, and voila. Um, yeah. I also, I liked how you stressed um, the importance of understanding culture's influence on, on how we perceive things through our senses. You, you talked about color. Uh, in fact, I've talked about culture's influence on color perceptions and, um, and I think it was my fifth episode with Charles Spence at Oxford University, if anyone wants a deeper dive into that area. Um, but do you have any favorite examples where perceptual differences occur across culture, uh, whether it's color or any of the other senses? 
Well, anything that's going to affect us biologically, mm -hmm. um, where our where our intellect is not going to interfere. So, like lavender, like if we do smell lavender or spiced apples or cinnamon, our body will tend to relax. Um, now, if someone had a bad experience mm. with the smell cinnamon, that is going to, you know, overact or um, take over. But if overall, because we are just human beings, the energy that comes off of those aromas will create that biological function of just relaxing. Um, and that's where even certain music that the tempo, tempo is faster, it makes us move faster. Um, so and, and most of the time, unless, again, someone's had some bad association in their past, mm -hmm. I would say that it's, most of it's kind of just because we are human beings. It doesn't matter if we were born and raised in China, India, Latin America, or America. Right, right. Well, that kind of goes back to the biomimicry, I, I think. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Cool. Um, okay. So knowing kind of all things considered, knowing what you know about design science, um, can you take us through some examples of good design principles or applications? Um, I, I know it would help a lot if you had slides to show, as you did in your presentation. Um, but maybe you can describe um, some design elements at various points in the shopping experience. Um, you know, you talked about door sure. handles or the exterior, even the transition zone, or, or even at the checkout. Mm -hmm. um, you know, any any notables that just kind of come to mind that you can describe, where people can kind of picture it from themselves. Sure. So when someone does walk into a, a, a retail environment, we always say that sort of that transition zone, we need the first eight to 15 feet, depending on the size of the store, to orient yourself, especially if obviously it's your first visit to the environment. Um, and I, at that point, that's where I have a, a whole list of, of variables that I look at and say, okay, what is the overall design and look of the space? Is it something that in a matter of a couple seconds, I can, I can feel like I will be able to navigate this store without being overwhelmed. And by saying that, I, now there have to be focal points where my eye lands on these focal points and they're strategically located usually every 15 to 20 feet throughout the store. And it's, so it might be, okay, department signs. So I'm looking around and I go, oh, okay, they've got a men's department, a women's department, or they've got office supplies, they've got, um, soft goods over here, they've got linen here, whatever it is, in a matter of a few seconds, I can kind of get my bearings and say, okay, that's where I would probably want to go. Okay. And then having available traffic aisles so that I don't have to think, because if, I always say the feet follow the eyes. So mm -hmm. if I know where I want to go, I don't have to, I don't want to have to figure out how to get there. I, I want to have an available traffic aisle to get me there. So that's another thing. And um, of course, we've already touched on these other things, but in the first few seconds, if the music is too loud or it's not to my taste, that can be a turnoff and I can leave. Um, lighting levels are huge. So I always say that lighting levels should vary um, in a space. It should never be just one monotone light source, like fluorescence on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. we, we don't respond well as humans, um, just that kind of flat monotone light. We need varying light levels. So having track lights, even floor lamps, um, different types of light in the space that can help highlight areas that, again, my eyes will go to. Mm -hmm. So it provides contrast to the surroundings. And then finally, you know, having displays and merchandising techniques that make sense, that are easy to interpret. Um, I get what people, what, what's being sold or what someone's trying to sell me. I'm not overwhelmed with too much stuff on 
from floor to ceiling. Hmm. Um, it's that it's that interpretation of the space and the products. It has to be almost effortless, but positive and encouraging and delightful. I know it's a, it's a lot. There's you know, so I've had 30 years of, of trying to look at how someone reacts to all of these things in the space from the moment they enter. And, right. you know, someone might, one of my questions to my clients is, how long do you want someone to spend in your space? Do you want them in here for five minutes or 45 minutes? Right. You know, that's a big deal. If someone's in there for 45 minutes, there are a lot of other things that we have to be considering. And, and you clearly, the devil is in the details on these things. I, I know you're talking about these things in a, in a general way, and, and you have to because so much is dependent on the individual context um, and, and the unique goals of, of a particular shopper. And, and those things, um, you know, kind of layered on top of the principles that you just, you know, went through, um, get you to then, all right, well, what should these focal points be and how do I make these pathways through the store. Um, there's, there's not just kind of a one size fits all approach. So, you know, I, I know if we were to say, you know, to, to have a very specific example, you know, you can go into those devil details, but, um, but, you know, but we won't do that. I think, I think the important thing, um, for people to take away from this is that, um, it, it is complicated. Uh, number one, uh, number two, you, you don't want to guess your way to a solution. Um, you really want to partner with someone who understands, um, you know, the influences, the effects of the influences on, on the shopper and their behavior, and, and then how to, how to, you know, create design that, that facilitates that. Um, and then, you know, number three, you, you want to... Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're testing things to make sure that uh, even though, you know, according to science, what you're doing should work, um, it doesn't always work um, because, you know, the science may have, may have um, identified an effect on, in one context, but your context is, is different enough that it, 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 for some reason, that effect doesn't work. So, um, so you know, the, the takeaway from this is that, um, you know, in, in any store, in any environment, you are influencing the way shoppers perceive and, and react. You can, you can kind of hope for the best by doing it in, in, in kind of an intuitive or, or instinctive way that feels right for you, um, and then you get what you get. Uh, or you could do it in a very purposeful way, um, you know, work with experts who know what they're doing, and, um, and create environments that have predictable behavioral results. Well, very well said. And, and I would add that, you know, there is all this science, but it does need to be married then with sort of the business side of things. So, you know, you're, you're working with a client that has a strong, well, hopefully a strong brand and a strong story, history, and then all of their product lines. So you have to look at, you know, what they're selling, what their services are on top of the products that they might offer, and who are they selling to? Who are their target markets? And what are those target markets needs and expectations? So, you know, you're really, you're marrying this whole design science, the field of the physiology and psychology and biophilia and all that with the business model. You know, you've got, you've got a bottom line that you're trying to sell as many products as possible to everyone who walks through that front door. Yeah. And you have a brand and you have a story. So, you know, how do you marry those to make the most effective environment possible for that particular client? Yes, exactly. Um, all right. So one more um, kind of subtopic I just, I just want to touch briefly on. Um, cause you talked about the power of priming, um, where you said, you know, you could use priming to get people in, in a state of mind, um, to, to do something later. 
Um, and, and, you know, you, you had lots to say about priming, but, but in particular, you said expectations, expectations, expectations. Um, uh, you know, I guess meaning is that, you know, you can use priming to m maybe either set expectations or, or confirm expectations. Um, you know, how, how kind of at a high level should we think about priming um, in, in the context of, of kind of all the things you've talked about? And I always say priming starts with a website. So if, if that's the first point of interaction with the business, then you're starting to prime them right there with the brand and perhaps colors and what to expect in the built environment. Mm -hmm. So that's where that's the first step. And then the next one would be when someone drives by or walks by or parks and gets out and come, starts to come towards the front entrance. And what, what does that facade look like? And you're priming someone big time with, you know, the, the curb appeal is super important to uh, grab attention and then just to start setting that standard for what to expect on the inside, setting those expectations. So if I and I it's funny because I'll go to a website that might be expertly designed, but that person who designed the website had nothing to do with the, the, the built environment. And all of a sudden I show up and I'm like, wow, this can't be the same place that I just was on mm, the website. Mm, yeah. such disconnect. Um, and I've seen it the other way around where the website's horrible and then I'm really surprised by how great maybe the facade looks. Now, when I come in that front door, again, my expectations are going to be at a certain level based on what I've been primed ahead of time. And then right. when I come in, hopefully I'm not disappointed. Hopefully, you know, that brand has been carried through. My expectations are met or even exceeded. Um, and then again, now all of a sudden, that, that memory part is starting to stick a little bit because I've had three places that have primed me and they've all been hopefully successful and they kind of coordinate and relate to each other, support yeah. each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't want listeners to kind of think that priming is only about um, kind of omni-channel congruity, you know, having a consistent experience. Um, Cause yes, that's part of it clearly, but, but, you know, you talked about even illumination and, and movement, especially human movement, um, even, even the odd number effect. Um, so, you know, there's priming is, is, you know, can be at a, um, you know, at, at a level of cognitive awareness, or it could be appealing, you know, directly to the subconscious. Um, well, very, yeah, right. very good point. Correct. And, yeah, and like everything else we talked about, it's complicated. <laughs> you want to work with an expert, um, but it's leverageable and, and it can be used in, in, in ways that, um, can result in predictable behavioral outcomes. Which is why I, I love your presentation and I love what you do. Um, I, I, I now know why you work so much because, heck, there's, there's little that's more fun than doing what you do. So, <laughs> so you know, it beats the alternative, right? But that's true. That's yeah. true. Well, and it's, and it's fun because we get to see positive results from our work. You know, that's what drives us. We, we see what works. So we, we, like, we like being able to get out there and make the changes and then step back and go, okay, wow, that worked. That's great. Oh, yeah. And, and how rewarding is that when, you know, you take these really abstract um, concepts uh, and, and be able to kind of apply them in such a way that, you know, people used to do this and now they do that. that that's incredibly rewarding. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, is, um, Linda, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that we should have um, that, that you wanted to mention? You know, I, I did my best referring to my notes, and, and you, you, you said a lot. So I think there's, there's plenty for folks to take away from this. But I uh, just didn't want to miss something if there was more 
on any topic. And well, you were a great interviewer. You you actually kind of hit on all of the points that um, were important. And really, I don't have too much to add to it other than start experiencing spaces through your six senses. That's gr great advice. Because, um, you know, after work, we all find ourselves shopping, you know, to some extent. And and uh, you know we should we should make sure we're still on the job when we when we go into stores and and be kind of aware of of the surroundings because um, you know we're not just trying to change other people's behavior other people are trying to behave uh, change our behavior as well. Um, okay, so if people want to learn more about design science and and what you do, uh, what's the best way for them to reach you? Is there um, you have a website, email, phone number, any I have any all of the above? above? All right, yeah. So the website is retailworksinc.com. So it's retailworks and make sure you add the INC, retailworksinc.com. And then my the company phone number is 414-249-4881. And someone can email me directly at lfalk, that's L-F as in Frank, A-L-K, at retailworksinc.com. Terrific. Uh, well, thanks, Lynn. This, is, this has been a lot of fun for me. I hope the same for you. Um, it's been great to speak with you, and thanks for sharing your knowledge and perspective on behavioral design. Um, also, um, I will, if not before, uh, reach out to you five years from today and remind you about the Appalachian <laughs> Trail. Uh, and maybe, maybe we'll run into each other out there um, if, if the stars align. But um, uh, I would enjoy that. And I've really enjoyed today, and let's do it again sometime. Terrific, Lynn. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Decision Breakers for making today's episode possible. We'll see you next time on Shoppernomics.